0: District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about the organization, visit www.cfact.org. I am so thrilled to be rejoined by Stephen Gutowski, formerly of the Washington Free Weekend, who is now going on his solo journey with the Reload, a very exciting project. He's had a lot of success so far with its launch in its very few days of operation. Stephen, thank you so much for taking time out of your very, very busy schedule to chat with me about what is happening, what led you to join kind of this freelance route and, and what your site is all about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate you having me on. Um, it's, been a, it's been a crazy couple of days so far.
0: What has been the response to your newest endeavor and and how have the media responded to the reload? I've seen a lot of mainstream press people, I suspect people who you've Uh, consulted before, uh, lending credence to your new project. So it's really exciting that even people you wouldn't think perhaps would care about the gun beat are also recognizing your project too.
1: Yeah. You know, the, the response has been pretty overwhelming at this point, um, both from, you know, uh, subscribers, people signing up, and then also from other media outlets who uh, uh, seem genuinely interested in what I'm trying to do with the reload, which is, you know, to, to, really establish the gun beat as a viable, successful um, um, thing to do in media.
0: Talk about the framework of the website, what you hope to accomplish with it. You've broken some exclusive stories. So you're obviously keeping up with what you did with the free beacon, keeping the stories original. You have a interesting story about ghost guns too. So you want to keep it original. You kind of want to be ahead of the curve. What's your overall goal with the website and why did you launch it?
1: Yeah, um, uh, <clears throat> the goal for me is to provide um, serious, sober firearms reporting and, and expert analysis. Uh, I think that's something that's sorely lacking right now uh, in, in our media landscape uh, when it comes to, to firearms. And so, you know, I'm trying to, as best I can, uh, break exclusive news stories, important news stories, and then also provide um uh, analysis to give people insight into why those developments matter um, and what what is coming and how it could affect them so uh, that that's really what the reload is going to be all about I think not you know not hot takes or or like hyper partisan um, opinion pieces there's plenty of that stuff out there um, right. and there's plenty of good uh, you know opinion stuff out there as well but but that's not what the reload is going to be focused on. It's, it's going to be uh, journalism, uh, you know, the, the traditional style, the old style journalism.
0: And what stories have you broken? Obviously, I alluded to the ghost gun stuff. You talked about this new group forming with Asian American and uh, Pacific Islander gun owners because they feel like their voice hasn't really been represented. So talk about the stories you've broken so far and what content people can expect.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the biggest stories from my point of view is the new Asian American Pacific Islander gun owners uh, group that formed on Monday, uh, because there hasn't been something like that before uh, in in the gun community. Um, We have uh, a lot of groups now that have been successful at uh, recruiting people from different backgrounds and different demographics to to gun ownership. Um, We've seen a huge rise in Uh, female gun ownership over the last decade or or so Uh, and you've seen groups come out of that like a girl and a gun um, and a number of other um, um, gun groups focused on you know helping train women and get women involved in the community and making them comfortable at the range Um, and you've seen uh, the national african-american gun association uh, which is focused on obviously african-american shooters which has grown tremendously over the last year or so, Um, and you've seen even groups like um, the Liberal Gun Club, right, Uh, which is a group of of, uh, gun owners who are, you know, liberals, right, as the name implies, Uh, and that don't feel necessarily uh, comfortable um, at at other, uh, you know, ranges where they might be sort of ostracized for... Uh, One thing or another, or even, you know, even if they're not ostracized necessarily, um, it can also often just be more comfortable for people to get into shooting for the first time if um, they do it with somebody who shares their background, who shares their experiences. Um, And in the case of Asian Americans, oftentimes someone who literally speaks their language, because you have a lot of uh, Asian immigrants who you know, speak English, but it, it's not their first language. And so it can be really helpful to that. You know, that was one of the things, the guys that, uh, uh, AAP, um, sorry, AAPI go is what they're calling it. Um, that was one of the things that they, they mentioned as like a specific barrier for, uh, Asian Americans who want to get into gun ownership and, and an area where they can have, they feel that they can have a lot of, uh, positive impact. So. That was, I think, one of the biggest stories. But I mean, you know, there were also several other ones. You know, the NRA uh, bankruptcy trial is ongoing. There's right, new... you've
0: covered that extensively.
1: Yeah, and there's a new um, hearing today. Um, but I broke news on Monday that they uh, they're calling another emergency board meeting um, for uh, in two weeks to discuss their reorganization plan if they sort of make it through this phase of the bankruptcy trial and the case doesn't get dismissed. Um, the board is going to vote on uh, the leader NRA leadership's uh, uh, plan for reorganization, um, and and then you know detailed some of the big developments that have happened, some of the big revelations that have come out in that case so far. Um, and, and then uh, yesterday, I broke a, a story about um, President Biden's executive actions on on guns. Uh, one of the big ones, uh, which deals with unfinished firearm receivers, uh, or, you know, as Biden referred to them, uh, ghost guns and, um, how exactly the ATF plans to go after them. Um, I, I obtained a draft document of what that regulation is going to look like. It's, uh, the regulation is not going to be made public for another two weeks here, but, um, now people can go and see what the ATF is likely to do. Um, by by going and, and reading that that story on on uh, the reload.com
0: Very good yeah you have already broken some stories, which is amazing. And you've always been doing that with the free beacon. And I want to talk about kind of a larger issue with, I think in Fox news, when an interview you did there, you talked about kind of this democratization of journalism and how you're kind of clinging onto this trend of going the independent route. A lot of people are, some people are choosing to do it through Substack. You chose to customize and build your own website and offer different, unique offerings there, uh, through a subscription model. And then obviously through kind of like a free email newsletter and free content as well. So do you see more journalists going in this direction, especially on the gun issue? And, And what do you hope that your website can accomplish beyond what you've already established and started?
1: Yeah. Um, I do think you'll see more people gravitate towards this model, um, at least, um, i think it i think it works very well for a certain type of of writer um somebody who either is already very established and has hundreds of thousands of followers right because you only you only need a you know a small percentage of those people to sign up in order to be sustainable um but also for for other people uh, yes i've been uh been working almost (laughs) nonstop.
0: you need to get some sleep
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's hard to run. This is one of the drawbacks. It's very difficult to run an entire uh, website operation on your own, especially the route that I went, which was uh, to build the whole thing myself instead of using something like Substack. Um, so there's certainly advantages to using Substack, but I like the flexibility and and uh, uh, customizability that that building it myself brought. And I have, you know, a significant amount of experience running the back end of websites. So uh, you know, I was able to do it, but I think, uh, overall the model of, you know, the sort of freemium newsletter or membership site for journalists is, um, going to be successful for both the very popular writers. And then also, uh, people who have built a good reputation in a specific niche. Um, you know, for me, it's guns, but it could be anything, you know, um, I know there's a guy running a, a a news a Substack called Lenny's Newsletter, and his niche is like um, you know uh, tech advice. He worked at Airbnb before he started his his newsletter, and now he has over four thousand paid subscribers. So, wow. uh, In in about a year, so you know it's um it's certainly something that can appeal in all kinds of different ways. And so as long as you have a, a good reputation in a specific niche, I think it can work for people. Um, now, it, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into a lot of extra work beyond the writing um, to make it successful, you know, uh, you got to do your own customer service and your own tech support and so forth, but uh, but it's been very much worth it so far. Um, the response has really been incredible.
0: It certainly has. And I think over the years, people in media, especially journalists and even maybe TV commentators have leaned on you for accuracy, for reporting on different terminology and functions accurately. And it seems like some of them are putting away their biases, maybe about firearms, AR-15s, kind of scarier looking, more aesthetically kind of displeasing looking guns. And they're saying, okay, maybe I do have to be Judicious. I have to take away my emotion and I have to report exactly on what exactly a firearm is in consideration for regulation or deregulation, what the implications are. But there are still some holdout individuals. Do you think more journalists can be persuaded to cover the issues like you do. Are you hopeful in that respect? I know you've done a lot to help influence and, and change perspectives, but there's still a little small contingent that is never going to be able to be swayed. Uh, but are you hopeful that they'll listen or are they too interested in getting clicks and misinforming the public?
1: Hmm. That's a good question. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I've always felt that most reporters, uh, especially, you know, your average uh, beat reporter at a newspaper or something like that, um, wants to get the story right. They, they don't want to be wrong. Um, and oftentimes, they just don't have the required knowledge or resources to um, get things right when it comes to firearms, um, how firearms work, how our gun laws work, what different proposals would actually do. Um, why people own guns, who owns guns, you know, all kinds of things, uh, like that. Um, and, you know, if they, I think they would prefer to get things right if they could. Um, and that's where, that's where, like, I try to, um, be a resource for as many reporters as I possibly can now. Uh, and, and that has been successful, over the years, and I think has even started to um, show gains, you know, down the line, even when people aren't directly contacting me. I mean, recently, when President Biden spoke uh, about his executive actions, you know, he said a number of things that weren't true uh, in his speech, made a a number of errors, and you actually saw um, the major... Uh, p- publications, fact checkers actually did do a pretty good job of, of, um, of fact checking him, uh, at least eventually, I'd, my my piece went out first at the Free Beacon, so, uh, you know, I still got, I still got to it first, but you did see like the Washington Post and even CNN um, did uh, competent fact checks of what the president had said. So I, I do think that there's been progress. Now, Is everyone everyone in media, especially the people on the more uh, opinion side, the the talking head types, are they all going to one day uh, be knowledgeable about the subject and and research it before they say something on it? No, absolutely not. Um, There's always going to be some group who either uh, just is too – I don't know, lazy to learn <laughs> the, the truth or um, is too bought into a sp- certain uh, political point of view to uh, question it and or, or to research things further uh, or to correct things even if they've been told that they're wrong. Um, and so that's always going to happen, I think. Uh, and it's always going to be a problem. And I will, I would hope that over time... People like that would become less influential, but, uh, you know, (laughs) because that depends on how optimistic you are about our media landscape (laughs) in America.
0: (laughs) Unfortunately, a new poll or survey found that there's growing distrust, not even just domestically, but even kind of, I think it was an examination into 28 different countries that trust in the press is at an all-time low, and it doesn't help when a lot of the things they put out turn out to be false. And they never correct the record, the original tweet, let's say, for instance, if they're breaking news on Twitter, that gets more engagement and reception than a retraction or correction. So yeah, they need to do a better job. And on this issue, especially, and... I'm in full agreement, and I can't dedicate my my time to to guns as scrupulously as you can. And that's why I lean on you to to report the stuff and and why I consider you like the leading authority on these subjects and and why it's so important to have someone like you fully dedicate the time to this because um, I can throw out an opinion piece and I try to not be so reactionary with it., uh, but you really break it down and and I think people can have their trust in press restored through someone like you who, doesn't have any agenda you just want to straight beat report what happens break stories things of that sort so yeah they have to do a little better of restoring trust with people instead of trying to inflame tensions or misinform people about firearms especially against um public opinion and i think we had talked about this on the panel i had with you mark oliva and cam edwards and i don't know if if, since it's been a few months now since we did that do you see kind of politics changing with this larger contingent of gun owners coming in this 8 million new gun owners. Do you see Mm. people perhaps voting more so with their wallets or their protection in mind? Um, Could we see that materialize perhaps maybe filling the void of what the NRA or some other organizations weren't able to accomplish Um, even beyond that? I'm not sure if an organization can, but do you see kind of a political movement shaping or do you see more people perhaps voting with their wallets, rejecting what is coming out of the Biden administration or in Congress or by executive order?
1: Yes, I I do think in the long term you'll see things change um, as as more of these new gun owners become politically active um, around guns, Um, you know, because it's not necessary for all eight million to immediately become, you know, dedicated uh, gun rights activists for Mm -hmm there to be a significant impact. Even a small percentage of those people um, becoming um, you know, dedicated to political advocacy um, for gun rights will have a significant impact at all levels, um, mm-hmm. I would imagine. Um, now, I don't think it, you know, I think I was saying this at the time last year before the election, I don't expect it to be overnight. Um, you know, I think a lot of people were expecting that because there was a surge in gun ownership and new gun owners, that meant it would be, a, you know, a guaranteed victory for Donald Trump in the election because uh, the contrast between him and and Joe Biden on gun policy was very apparent um, and stark. But you know, I, I wasn't necessarily expecting that to be the case. Um, you know, just a few months after someone. Buys their first gun doesn't necessarily mean they're going to turn from a um, either a Democrat, uh, Democratic voter or a, uh, even someone who's not politically engaged into like a diehard party line Republican voter. Sure, um, like that's not real life. It's not how people work. Um, I think it takes time for people to um, change their minds, and also it's not necessarily going to be because someone built. Uh, Becomes a gun rights activist, that they're going to immediately become a Republican. Like, mm-hmm. yes, the parties have sort of polarized on the issue over the last decade or so um, in a more uh, extreme way, like they have with a lot of other issues. But, um, you know, perhaps what we'll see instead of just, more, well, more gun owners automatically equals more Republicans, is that you'll see more Democrats who are interested in um, moderating the party's position on gun rights.
0: Have Um, you seen any indication of that? I can't see any, maybe from state legislatures, because I know in Virginia and in more, more kind of rural states. Montana, you'll find like very pro-Second Amendment Democrats. Same in Wyoming, um, same out West and somewhat in the corners of the Deep South. You'll find Democrats who are very conservative, I guess, politically speaking on the gun issue. They're very pro-Second Amendment. But nationally, we don't see that unless maybe I'm missing something. Have you, I'd be really curious if you report on Maybe there will be some sort of moderate Democrat pro-gun wing to emerge, but I don't see that happening aside from talking about the the granular firearms issue. But do you think there could be some federal candidates who run to the left but say, hey, let's not restrict gun usage because here's actually how you can address gun crime, not penalizing legal gun owners? Do you think anyone can emerge or is anyone emerging?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I do think that can happen. Um In the long run, not tomorrow, right? Uh, Because generally, the way political change works is that it takes like party orthodoxy is pretty ingrained um, and takes a while to change Mm -hmm. generally only changes through political losses, right? So you have to see an actual political cost for holding these different positions before you will see uh, a significant um, change or shift in the party um, around whether or not those positions are politically viable, right? So, I mean, you you can still see some effect though, look at Virginia, for example, Um, especially, so you'll see this effect already happening in places that are more divided and less deeply blue or red. Um, And so in Virginia, Democrats control, as you know, um, all the levers of lawmaking uh, at the state level. And they pushed for years, in the lead up to capturing the state house and governorships, Um, for years they, they pushed And uh, an assault weapons ban, and not just even a ban, but also confiscation, like making it illegal to possess the ones people already own. And then, you know, that got watered down. uh, I guess at this rate, it's hard to keep up with time. time. (laughs) Yes. was The last Last session, I guess it would have been. Yeah, I guess it would have been the 2020 session session, because we Mm -hmm. in Virginia they do sessions at the very beginning of the year, so it can kind of feel like it was longer ago than it was. But uh, so the 2020 session, they they now they they passed a number of gun control bills, including you know universal background check bill and a red flag bill um, and and uh, stuff like that, you know, allowing localities to ban. Uh, the carry of guns in in parks and government buildings, things like. We that.
0: saw that in Alexandria, actually, yes. and uh, the signs that they had originally were really ridiculous. I was like, this is not this doesn't look like official city protocol. I was upset when they ended uh, preemption law. I don't think it's we know it's not going to have any measurable impact. Um and and if you're concealing in a park, how are they supposed to know you're concealing and right. usually concealed people conceal carry permit holders aren't the ones committing the crime. So it seemed like a right. virtue signaling there, but, um, kind of sure, in the but... Virginia governor's race, are you going to be tracking that? And do you think the gun issue can come up, um, in our state legislature? Cause I think you had said, and you had reported, or at least we'd spoken privately either with you, me and Cam Edwards, that, um, they're not pursuing an assault weapons ban because, given it's an election year they're afraid yeah. that that's going to turn out pro-gun supporters for the opposition party
1: yeah that's that's exactly the point i was getting to with um they uh so they passed a couple of things uh, but they they didn't pass the assault weapons ban even even though they watered it down um last year uh it still failed to pass the senate um and then uh, you know the argument was, all right, well, it's just not ready yet. uh we need to make tweaks to make the Senate happy and then this year happened this session earlier in twenty twenty one here, and they didn't even introduce an assault weapons ban this year. Uh, they did not even try to pass it they didn't even try to pass it in the house and uh I don't think it's a coincidence that that happened. In the same year that we're having an, another election, because Virginia does elections in off years, so twenty twenty one is an election year in Virginia, and um, yeah, so so you've seen that effect because in Virginia they're they're only they only have a tiny margin in both of those houses, both those mm-hmm. chambers, and so yes, I think they are concerned about um, losing votes and losing seats over you know trying to pursue um, even more aggra- aggressive gun control legislation than what they already passed. And so that's where I think um, you will see, uh, you can already see the effect of some of these new gun owners and and uh, uh, the increase in political advocacy among uh, gun rights activists. And um, I think it'll take time and it'll take actual elections, several election cycles before, you'll see um, Democrats on a bigger scale uh, really not even necessarily completely change their mind, but more like revert to what they were even just a few years ago. Um, Because it openly saying that they want to confiscate guns from people is, is a relatively new phenomenon, or at least um, they hadn't really been doing that since at least the nineties because the, The calculation was that um, Al Gore lost the presidential election in part because of his uh, stance on gun control. And so, um, you know, you could see Democrats, I could certainly see a a scenario where Democrats revert back to a less aggressive stance on guns over time after, uh, you know, if they lose actual elections and, (laughs) and determine that it was because of this issue.
0: They haven't really done an autopsy, and it seems, unfortunately, they're trending more to the left, even on this issue. So I'm, I'm a little pessimistic, but I would hope in the legislatures, maybe there are some Democrats there that can sway their party nationally to abandon these very confiscatory policies that do nothing to limit or ameliorate the instances of crime and violent crime. And I don't know how much time you have left, Stephen, but is there anything else you want to explore before I defer people to your website and how they can support you and kind of the sponsorships that you offer? Yeah, uh, well, no, just, I mean, you know,
1: I, I agree that it hasn't happened yet. Uh, and I don't think it's going to happen for uh, several election cycles, at least. You're going to have to have Democrats lose uh, seats because of this issue if, you, if, if you're going to see them change Direction on it like that. I think that's the bottom line and it's not And and yeah, eight million new gun owners have the potential to do that in the long run but I don't think it's necessarily that something's going to happen in one election cycle, you know
0: It takes time. Yeah until they feel the pain at the ballot box right. They'll never change their views uh, On this issue. And I think yeah, it, it, things are interesting. I think with with the gun world and what are your thoughts on um, President Biden potentially removing immunity for gun manufacturers. Could that open up the door to other industries being sued too, not just gun owners? And and what do you think that policy will have? Is it just to obviously curb the production of legal firearms? Is there any merit to it? I don't think so. But 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 do you think he's going to go full throttle on removing that 2005 law?
1: I don't think he can. I don't think there's any chance that he gets anywhere on that. Like, yes, it's something that he wants. And he says publicly, that's like his top thing that he wants. But there's absolutely no appetite for that in Congress. Um, because, yeah, it it would effectively probably put the firearms industry out of business. If you make them liable for uh, criminal misuse of their products, Um yeah, that's that's probably going to make it extremely difficult for them to ever uh, to keep operating. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know exactly how it plays out, but certainly I think the risks of something like that of basically filing. Uh, frivol- you know, allowing these uh, sort of frivolous lawsuits to go forward, even at, because generally speaking, the goal isn't even to actually win the lawsuit. Um, in these cases, this was a tactic from, again, from the nineties, where the idea was to file frivolous lawsuits to tie these companies up, uh, in court for years and make the legal costs exorbitant. Um, and eventually, you know, that can put a lot of gun companies out of business, um, that way. And so, um, that's why they passed the the Protection and Lawful Commerce and Arms Act in the first place. And it was an overwhelmingly bipartisan bill at the time. And um, I don't know that I, you know, I, I, as much as the president says he wants that to happen, I don't see it as a realistic thing, even if Democrats pick up seats in the next uh, midterms here, which is probably unlikely given historical trends, but, Um, You know, it's sort of something he wants, but is almost certainly never going to get.
0: Yeah, it seems like a pipe dream and it's going to have very deleterious consequences. I also think I know you don't do much of hunting, but um, the just the connection between all those monies that come from guns and ammo to fund all the different environmental projects that we do and have like through wildlife conservation, habitat restoration and even hunter safety courses. Um, <laughs> eliminating the legal purchase of firearms will have such an adverse effect on the system in place uh, through the Pittman-Robertson fund, which is what I warn people, not because like I'm simply just a gun activist or a gun proponent, but like there are some ramifications that could come with this and it would totally disrupt the system we have in place that has worked, that's promoted conservation, safety, responsible use, things of that sort. So I don't think They understand what they're doing um, on this, especially through a maneuver like that to shut down manufacturers who, as we know, having gone to SHOT Show and interacting with people from the industry side, they always pride safety. I've never seen a manufacturer say, yes, we're advertising our firearms deliberately to encourage people to commit crime. Like, that's not what you can imply from their advertising I mean, um, you remember the Remington case, right? Was it where Sandy Hook parents <clears throat> were able to sue on those grounds? Is is that in line with what they're using as a justification to try to undo the 2005 law too?
1: Yeah, well, um, yeah, that case has been allowed to go forward despite the, the PLCAA. Um, but um, again, it's a case that doesn't have much of a chance of actually succeeding on the merits, but... Generally, with these sorts of cases, that's not the idea. Isn't to actually win? It's just to tie up company in court, and you know, make them pay a lot of money in legal fees. So, um, I doubt that that case is going to succeed. But it's going to take probably several years to, uh, um, for it to come to an end. And it's going to cost a lot of money uh, during that time period.
0: And while it seems like the chance of good gun legislation cannot pass, there are some good pieces of legislation that are out there. I think the Hearing Protection Act has been reintroduced, concealed carry reciprocity. And maybe if Republicans reclaim the House and Senate, although I don't see President Biden (laughs) signing it into law, they had super majorities in both chambers. But there is some good legislation out there, federally speaking and across the states. Like what has crossed your mind as something that's good that should pass, that should have passed? Um, or that could potentially pass in the future if the political dynamic changes? Well, I think at the federal level, there's not much opportunity to
1: pass uh, much of anything on either side mm-hmm. at this point, regardless of who controls uh, each branch, um, unless something like nuking the filibuster happens, which which is a possibility if Democrats actually gain more seats mm-hmm. um, in the Senate uh, and they don't have to rely on votes from cinema or or mansion to actually go through with it and then then you could actually see a scenario where um democrats nuke the filibuster and pass at least some some gun control proposals i think it would still be difficult unless they they gain a lot of seats which i don't think is practically possible in the next election Uh, there's only so many uh competitive senate seats that are going to be up Mm -hmm um but i you know something like universal background check bill you could get through um but probably not an assault weapons ban um but you know that's it's kind of hard to speculate that far out um but yeah i mean other otherwise it's like you could see some more bipartisan stuff go through if um both sides give up on their particular priorities so things like um uh, you know, in- increased prosecution of, of uh, straw purchasers um, or lie and try, uh, you know, when, when convicted f- uh, felons try to buy guns, um, but fail background check. Um, you know, th- things along that, along those lines, maybe red flags, if there was some, if they could come up with some sort of compromise that made everybody happy with due process protections and so forth. Um but otherwise, it's hard to see anything moving in Congress with the way that things are now. Um, How about
0: the Supreme Court? Are they going to hear any gun cases soon?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I don't I don't know. It's so hard to read the court anymore. Uh, I, probably, I guess it's always been hard to read the court um, and sort of predict what they're going to do. They're, they're pretty fickle. Um, sure. They haven't taken up any significant gun cases since Barrett was put on the court, and you know everyone thought they were going to but maybe they're just uh biding their time or looking for the right case they they may be looking for like a smaller case to start with uh, i think the one that they're considering right now is a gun carry case out in new york that you know ha- would have pretty significant implications if they took it and ruled that the law was unconstitutional that that could have very big impact um whereas if they take something that's a smaller issue that has less of a impact so that they can start to establish their uh, preferred like jurisprudence, like the standards that they want to see lower courts apply to gun cases, maybe that's what they'd rather go with. Um, But it's so hard to tell. (laughs) uh, Cause I think everyone expected that with, you know, What looks like five, at least five justices who are very solidly uh, uh, on the side of expanding um, uh, the, you know, Second Amendment uh, protections, or, or, well, you know, articulating them further in the legal system. um, That there were everyone I think expected to have a bunch of new cases. Uh, you know, pretty much right away and that hasn't happened. So it doesn't mean it won't happen. The, the court moves pretty slowly in a lot of cases. So on a lot of issues, uh, they get, you know, thousands of cases and they can only take so many. Uh, they can only take a tiny percentage. So it appears like right now, they're not, they, they, a gun case is not at the top of their priority list it seems, but it doesn't mean it's not coming.
0: Yeah, it's been a stalemate. For sure, I think a lot of gun advocates are very frustrated, but hopefully they will have the gumption to decide on something. I think with that, what was it, that ruling out of Hawaii that said you cannot conceal carry in most public places. Correct me if I'm wrong on understanding Uh, and interpreting the ruling.
1: Yeah, the young ruling. So the Ninth Circuit already ruled that you don't have a right to carry a concealed gun uh, outside the home uh, in Peruta a, year, a couple of years back. Um, so they, they established that the second amendment, according to the ninth circuit, doesn't inherently protect concealed carry rights. And then in young versus Hawaii, they now have established that the second amendment doesn't pr- e- uh, inherently protect open carry rights either. So the implication there is that, uh, according to the ninth circuit, the second amendment doesn't protect any sort of Uh, gun carry rights outside of the home. Um, And that's in conflict now with several other circuits. Um, I believe um, DC circuit uh, in the Wren case, uh, you know, where they struck down DC's ban on gun carry. And then there was a case in Illinois as well um, uh, a few years back that did the same thing. And so um, you could see the court take that case because the court usually likes to um, take cases where the uh, circuits, the lower circuits, are split on on a certain question, and so that now you see um, you see that in the Young case, and so m- they should have more motivation to take a gun carry case at some point, but you know uh, they haven't yet. Maybe they will on Friday when they meet to t- to discuss the. Um, the New York gun carry case again. They've already relisted it a couple times, which is generally not a good sign, from what I understand. I'm not a uh, you know I'm not necessarily an expert on the Supreme Court, but uh, the more times a case gets relisted, the less likely it is to become to to be one that they take. Um, so we'll just have to wait and see.
0: A lot of things can happen between now and then, and you've run the gamut of all that is happening from your project to what is trending. Can you recommend and and encourage, give a call to action for my listeners on how they can best support the reload, your endeavors? I know you offer some paid subscriptions for those Mm -hmm. who want to support you to the max. I think you also offer with kind of the large sum of money or um, sponsorship fee that you also couple that with the firearms training. So give the gist of how people can support you from the free basic level to this high level support if you're still offering that.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, so, uh, you know, anyone can sign up for the free newsletter, right? There's a weekly newsletter that that goes over, you know, the biggest stories and guns of the week, every week. Um, and then you'll also get a, a breaking news. Um, uh, you'll get breaking news alerts as well that that are going to be, you know, periodical. It's not breaking news in the way that some other outlets like to use it to mean literally everything. <laughs> this is just going to be, Occasionally, if there's a big story that's an exclusive to The Reload, you'll get an alert that lets you uh, read it. But um, uh, beyond that, if you want to get into sort of uh, more content and and to support what I'm doing with The Reload, uh, you can sign up for either a monthly or yearly subscription, um, which gets you a second weekly uh, email that focuses on my analysis of what's happened uh, during the week. uh, So you can get sort of a better insight into why these stories matter so much and what they mean going forward. Um, And you'll also get access to exclusive posts on the site and to the forum and the ability to comment. uh, And uh, you'll get question and answer sessions with me as well. Um, And uh, if you're very supportive of what I'm doing, you wanna make sure that it, it succeeds there is a uh, co-founders uh, tier where uh, people can pay, it's $1,000 for a lifetime membership um, and you'll get um, a range day with me. Um, we're doing uh, sporting clays uh, in uh, the Bull Run Shooting Center in Virginia, Northern Virginia, right by uh, out near the airport, uh, Dulles Airport. So uh, that's, that's on uh, June 12th. And, you know, it's all, all, all inclusive, so you don't have to pay for anything. Um, but uh, yeah, I have initially had 10 of those spots available because, you know, I'm trying to keep that very small so that I can actually have individual time with everybody who who signs up for that. Um, and that sold out on day one, which was incredible. I saw that. That's awesome. But, um, so I added 10 more slots and I'll probably I'll be adding another day at the range so we can make sure that. We can accommodate everyone, Um, and and so uh, two of those have already sold. So right now there's only eight slots left, Uh, and then I'm gonna have to come up with something else because I can't. You know, twenty is probably my limit as far as uh, um, you know being able to to accommodate everyone. But but uh, so yeah, if you're if you really believe in what I'm trying to do, that's that's your best route Um, because you know that really will help make the site sustainable um and and make sure i'm not i don't have to shut it down and be out on the street in in a couple months um but so yeah that's how people can sign up you just go to the free the sorry the reload.com and right on the front page or on any of the posts uh you know if you scroll down you'll see uh the way the ways to to sign up for the newsletters or buy the the subscriptions
0: and drop the links to where people can follow you on social media, both you personally and also The Reload. Yeah, you
1: can follow me um, on Twitter at Stephen Gutowski, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-G-U-T-O-W-S-K-I. And you can follow The Reload at The Reload site on Twitter. And then there, we also have a, a Facebook uh, and a YouTube account. So.
0: Oh, you did? I didn't see those two. I'm going to subscribe yeah, those to those myself. Um, awesome. Very cool. Yeah. Awesome. Very, very good. I
1: really appreciate you having me on. Uh, this has been wonderful.
0: Yeah, it's always good to catch up. And I'm going to get you to that training. I'm still working out the details yes. in West Virginia with my former client who has some interesting stuff. I think that'd be super great. You could pick his brain. He has some interesting thoughts about the ATF nominee. Um, and we can discuss that offline more so too. But, Stephen, it's always a blast to chat with you. I really appreciate you taking time, especially on your launch week. You're a repository of information. I'm honored to consider you a friend and an ally in this coverage, and I wish you tremendous success and welcome to (laughs) self-employment.
1: Thank you, Gabby. I appreciate it so much.